Matthew chapter number 4, if you'd stand with me here this morning as in honor of the Word of God. Matthew chapter number 4, begin, we'll begin reading in verse number 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw two other brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. I want to speak to you on the subject this morning of the doctrine of man fishing. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for the word of God, and thank you, Lord, for the privilege to be in church, for the songs that we've had the privilege to sing, for the fellowship that we've already enjoyed. And Lord, as we bring this doctrinal message here today, we pray, Father, that our hearts and minds would be open, help us to see what we need to see and hear what we need to hear. And I pray that we would respond in a manner that would be pleasing to you. There's so many distractions, Lord. So many things in this life naturally that hinder us from responding to the Word of God. Uh, So many things in this life, uh, spiritual warfare and the devil trying to keep us from taking heed to the call of God on our lives. And I pray, Father, that your spirit and presence would be felt here today and you'd open up our ears and our eyes that we would see and hear what we need to hear. Have your will and way and above all, Lord, as Brother Sharp has already prayed, if someone here is without Jesus Christ as their Savior, Lord, I pray that they would see their need and perhaps get saved before they leave this building today. What a joy, what a blessing that that would be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The doctrine of man fishing. Some of, our, um, some of our single ladies here at Temple Baptist Church that are over 20, they just got really excited about this message here today, but that's not what it's about. <laughs> my, my wife was helping, you know, spruce up my PowerPoint as she does every Sunday, and she goes, don't you think you want to change that title? It, you know, it, I'm not sure about your title there. And I go, well, you, th- there's a reason for that title. The Doctrine of Man Fishing. When you think about that, that's kind of a strange title, kind of a strange concept, but we just read in the Word of God, this is a truth that we find in the Word of God. And, you know, a lot of times this concept of fishing for men, Jesus very frequently would use parables and he would use analogies. And the Scripture is full of figurative language that teach literal truths. And I, I preach messages on fishing. I remember Brother James preached an excellent message on fishing for men. I think it was when we were having a church over in the chapel while we were still remodeling this auditorium. And I remember that message vividly. And this concept is certainly more than just a clever analogy to try to get us to see and understand the things about evangel, uh, evangelizing the lost. I personally love fishing, and like most people who like to fish, I could tell a lot of fish stories. Some of you are like, please don't. I could tell a lot of fish stories, but uh, I will say this, uh, it seems like nowadays fish stories, have uh, the fish have gotten a lot smaller in fish stories, and you know why that is, don't you? Cell phone cameras. It's the way you stop a fish from growing. You take a picture of it. And for those of you that perhaps don't know, if you do catch a fish and you look at it, it's like, well, it's not that big of a fish. Oh, yes, it is. Just when you take that picture, hold it out in front of you. The further out your arm goes, the bigger the fish gets. I learned that a long time ago. But uh, you know what the definition of a fisherman is, don't you? It's a jerk on one end of the line waiting for a jerk on the other end of the line. <laughs> and, and then, of course, some of you heard about old man Jones, who uh, he was always catching lots of fish, and 
The game warden, he, was, he knew that old man Jones had to be breaking some kind of law. So he talked to old man Jones. He said, why don't you take me fishing with you? And old man Jones said, yeah, meet, we, meet me at 6.30 Saturday morning, and I'll take you out on the boat fishing with me. So the game warden shows up, and they get in the boat, and they're going out in the middle of the lake, and he's looking around, and he says, uh, Mr. Jones, he says, where's the fishing poles? And he said, oh, don't worry about it, sonny. He said, I don't see any bait. And he just keeps asking all these questions. And so they get to the middle of the lake. Mr. Jones stops rowing, and he reaches under his seat, and he grabs a stick of dynamite, and he lights it, and he hands it to the game warden. He said, are you going to talk, or are you going to fish? <laughs> Anyhow, I'm so sure that many of you have heard that one before. But this man fishing idea is actually a doctrine, and that's what I want to talk about here today is the doctrine of man fishing. And let me just say right up front here, most of you are aware when we talk about man fishing, we're talking about telling people about Jesus Christ. And there's all kinds of terminology. In recent time, we use the term soul winning. And I'm not against that term, but I I do realize that often we go out and we try to tell people about Jesus and lead them to the Lord. It's not exactly, it's the the, the soil, if you will. Fishing's not like that it used to be. And I, I would hear Brother Wilson and Brother Pennell, and some of you remember stories of how when Temple Baptist Church was a fairly young church, and we're over 50 years old and approaching 60 years as a church. But back in the early days, in the 60s and the 70s, a Christian could go and knock on doors. People would let them into their living room, and you could open up the Word of God, and you could tell them about Jesus and tell them how to be saved. And it wasn't totally uncommon for someone and even maybe an entire family to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. And, you know, if visitation was on Saturday, you'd see him at church on Sunday. And I know that many of you, you came to Christ in that manner. Somebody from this church came and reached out to you and led you to the Lord. And I can remember even back in the 80s when we talk about how things weren't as good as they were in the 70s, and yet... I remember as a young preacher boy, you could get people on occasion, let you into their living room, let you talk to them about Jesus, and if you asked them, would you like to be saved, they would say, yes, I'd like to be saved. The first time that happened to me, I thought they were just, you know, it's like, no, you don't. (laughs) Would you like to accept Christ as your Savior? Yes. What? (laughs) And you almost want to hassle them. You're so used to being told no that you just can't believe that somebody said yes. But what a joy it is to be able to bow with someone and then pray and ask Jesus to be their Savior. And oh, what a tremendous joy is when their life and the changes in their life demonstrate that something truly actually took place in their heart. They became a new creature in Christ Jesus. And like John said, he said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And boy, it's just such a, uh, there's no greater joy to a child of God than to be able to help bring other people to the same saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Jesus said here to four, two different brethren. We have, uh, we had uh, Andrew and we have Peter. We have James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. At least four disciples were fishermen, and you could make an arguable case that perhaps six, even Thomas and Nathaniel, you could make a case that they were at least part-time fishermen as well. So possibly half of the disciples had the occupation of being fishermen. And so the Lord, uh, the Lord called fishermen and he made this statement that is such a true doctrine. He said, if you'll follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And so the first, the first part of this doctrinal teaching here this morning that I want to give you is number one, you'll never fish until you've been caught. You'll never fish until you've been caught. I, I thought about 
when the, after the flood. And of course, the whole world, besides Noah and his family, were destroyed in the flood. Genesis chapter 6 and 7 and 8. And at the end of the flood, you'll recall that Noah, Noah released some birds and he, he turned loose the raven. And after the raven was turned loose, the raven didn't return. And, and the reason being is because the raven, he looked, went out there and, you know, all of the, you know, you know how it is when there's dead things and there's a lot of water, eventually they start to decay and they start to float up to the surface. So the raven went out into the world and he had nothing to return to. He liked it better out there than he liked it on the ark. But the dove, when Noah released that dove, what did that dove do? He brought back a message. He brought back an olive branch. And that, that olive branch was a message to demonstrate to Noah that, hey, I found something alive. I found some dry land. And you know, as we think about this doctrine, I think of the preface being the most important part. And um, I, I've learned that most people don't pay attention to the preface. You can say something, and boy, they will jump to conclusions. They'll misunderstand you if they don't take what you say in context with the preface. A lot of times a preface is very important. People are so sensitive today that, I mean, you, there are certain things that you can say and they're going to take it wrong no matter how you preface it. But really, truly, what Jesus said to the disciples here the preface is actually the most important part of the message. What is that preface? He said, follow me. Folks, you're never going to fish until you've first been caught. Now, uh, we've had soul winners classes here at this church, soul winners training. I've been through uh, numerous different soul winners classes, and I've read books on soul winning, but truly the only way to become a fisherman is to fish. You know, you can read, when I was a kid, and, and I told you I loved fishing, I loved to go to the barber shop because I could read about six copies of Field and Stream or Outdoor Life, and I could read about fishing and catching fish and different lures and different ways to use those lures. But I found that the best way I learned to catch fish is to just fish. You know, those people writing those articles, they learned what they learned by experience. And if you want to become a fisher of men, you first got to follow the Lord. You've got to be caught, but you will never want to fish until you've been through the process of being caught by the Lord Jesus Christ. You won't understand the value. You won't understand the process. You you know, there's, and I think that's probably something that always concerned me about soul winners classes. And, and many, many Christians have been, I'd say, deceived into thinking that salvation is a one, two, three, repeat after me process. Listen, I, just getting you to say a prayer is not going to save your soul. You know, if it were so, then there's all kinds of methods and means that we could do. We could, I mean, we could make sure that every single child that's part of our Sunday school classes, oh, if, if it was one, two, three, repeat after me, that'd be a piece of cake. Hey, Johnny, do you, do you want to go to heaven or hell? Oh, I think I'd prefer heaven. Well, do you know that if you'll ask Jesus to save you, you can go to heaven? Oh, really? Yes, Johnny, would you like to go to heaven? Sure, teacher. Well, if you'd like to go to heaven, just ask Jesus to save you. Would you like to do that right now, Johnny? Oh, sure. And you know what Johnny's going to do? He's going to say, dear Jesus, I ask you. He'll say whatever you want him to say. But that doesn't mean that something took place in the heart. And having Ray been, you know, kind of growing up in that kind of environment, I've always had a burden for so many people that you look at their lives, they got saved in vacation Bible school or Sunday school, and when you talk to them about their salvation, that's really about all that they have to say is that, well, I was in Sunday school, or I came home from church, and I was afraid of going to hell, and I asked my mom or my dad, and they they led me to the Lord. I'm not saying that the tangible 
verbiage of that is not good. I'm just saying that there has to be something that happened in the heart. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The Bible teaches that if we're in Christ, if we're a child of God, all of his children are going to have chastisement if we sin against the Lord. Listen, I, I, I'm not here to judge. I'm not a fruit inspector. I'm not a fish inspector, okay? I'm not saying, listen, I, it's not for me to say whether you're saved or lost. It's between you and the Lord. But let me say this, that if you can live in this world or you can live comfortably in sin and you don't feel like that God is just taking you behind His woodshed, maybe not every day, but you know that, hey, things happen. And you gotta, you look at that, it's like, hey, God's, God's taking me behind His woodshed. If you don't have that going on in your life, you need to be concerned that if you breathed your last breath on in, in your life today, would you be in heaven or would you be in hell? Listen, you can convince yourself and you can convince others. But one of these days, folks, we're all going to stand before the Lord. And you know what? It's not going to be a sales pitch. And it's not going to be a test that you take. It's going to be where you're born again. Or were you not? Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so we need to get back to a biblical view of salvation. And you're never going to catch fish. You're never going to want to go fishing until you have first been caught. And the problem that we see today is that Jesus says, follow me. Most people want to go to heaven, but they don't necessarily want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And by the way, if you follow Jesus, He's not going to lead you to resort living. We like resort living, don't we? We want to find that comfortable Airbnb that's got the view, the ocean view or the mountain view. And we, we want all of these comforts and we want this resort where we have some good food to eat. And, you know, a lot of preachers in America today, they present this idea of Christianity that's spiritual resort living. But that's not what Jesus was leading the disciples into a life of. And folks, that's not what he's leading us into either. Matthew 8, verse number 19 says, A certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Jesus saith unto him, The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Jesus isn't trying to draw you to him by promising you a cushy life of resort living. He's saying that, listen, I don't have any place to lay my head. You're going to follow me, then it's not necessarily going to be a life of comfort. C.H. Spurgeon said this, please, what he had to say here is so profound. I hope that you'll listen intently to this as I read it. He said, when Christ calls us by his grace, we ought not only to remember what we are, but we ought also to think of what he can make us. It is follow me and I will make you. We should repent of what we have been, but rejoice in what we may be. It is not follow me because of what you already are. It is not follow me because you may make something of yourselves, but follow me because of what I will make you. Follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. There's something inside every one of us believers that is telling us that to be involved in bringing others to Jesus is something that we're supposed to do. A sermon or a testimony may spur us in that direction. I hope that this sermon will spur you in the direction of becoming a fisher of men. But the fact is, we will always feel a sense of guilt if we are not actively trying to bring people to Jesus. When I first got right with the Lord, I, you know, I had heard Brother Runyon while I'd sit back there and ignore the preaching and just endure the service. I'd 
hear him talk during announcement times that a visitation is on Tuesday evenings and then Saturday at 10 in the morning. And so there's two different times that he went out making visits and trying to reach people, and I didn't even really know what that was. I didn't grow up in a Baptist church that really did a whole lot of visitation. And so I, you know, I didn't really know what it was. But when I got right with the Lord and I heard him talk about visitation and I had already, something had been speaking to my heart that I needed to do something to try to lend toward bringing people to the Lord. What God had done for me, I just felt inside that that's what I needed to be involved in helping God do the same work in others. It it wasn't a message. It wasn't anything. And I went to Brother Runyon and I said, um, I said, Pastor, uh, do you suppose, and and this is, I'm being sincere, do you suppose that it would be okay if I came on visitation Tuesday? I I didn't know if it was okay for me to come. I didn't feel worthy. I didn't didn't know what I was doing. I said, "Do do you suppose it'd be okay? Now, as a preacher, it's like, yeah, of course it would. I mean, I guarantee, and he kind of downplayed it, but I guarantee you any pastor that would have a young man come up and say, hey, could you think I could go with you on visitation? Inside, they're going, yeah! But he goes, yeah, brother, that'd be good. <laughs> you know, I found out later that, you know, it was pretty encouraging and pretty exciting. And so I showed up, and you know, I wasn't dressed right for visitation. I got a flannel shirt on, and I had no idea. And you know, he's got his shirt and tie, and you know, this is back in the mid-80s. And so, you know, you always, the the independent Baptist always went out on visitation with the, the shirt and the tie and all that. And I just showed up in my flannel shirt, and he didn't say a word. He took me, and we went, did some visits that he had prearranged, and then we knocked on a few doors, and I said, what do you, what do you want me to do? And he said, you know, just, just pray, just watch and pray. And so I listened, and I got to watch how he would talk to people, and I, just, I remember thinking, wow, I wish I could talk to people like he does. I wish I, I had that gift of gab, and he just knows just exactly what to say, and he's just so good with people. And uh, and I didn't know, I wouldn't have known what to say. You know what I did? I just went every Tuesday night. I went with him every Saturday, and I started doing that faithfully. And I had no idea at the time that the Lord was going to call me into the ministry. No idea whatsoever. I just knew there was something inside of me saying, you need to get involved in bringing people to Jesus Christ. And I've learned through the years that even as a preacher, sometimes I lose that burden. Last Sunday night, the Lord challenged us to pray for that burden to return. And, you know, I, I sometimes when that burden, when I lose that, and I become unmindful of fishing for men, and there's always just this sense of guilt inside. There's something missing when we allow ourselves to uh, to become that way. Now, I, I know that most of us, are, most of you are probably a little backward, a little awkward when it comes to speaking to strangers. Let me just tell you right up front, seldom do people get good at it permanently. We don't. I mean, it's just the, the fear of rejection is part of the fall of man. If you really thought about it, what was the first thing that they felt after the sin in the Garden of Eden? The first thing they felt was being naked, self-conscious, and that's all part of the fall. And this fear of rejection, are people going to like me or dislike me and all of that, that all came with the fall. And, and what we need to remember is that we have a covering provided for us by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We need to put Him on and follow Him. You know, yesterday I was so encouraged and, you know, rejection is something that, um, I think I'm getting ahead of myself here. Never mind. Just scratch that thought. My mind went to point number two. (laughs) Do you remember what uh, Abraham's nephew Lot did? He tried to influence Sodom by becoming part of Sodom, 
part of its system. And not only did he fail to influence them, but he became vexed in his soul. You know, too many believers today, this this idea of lifestyle evangelism. Now, I do believe that we need to live it before men. We need to let our light shine. You know, don't don't be one of these people, I've been around them, where they, they talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. I don't know about you, that that just disgusts me when people are can talk it, but they don't want to walk it. I remember uh, I worked with a guy at um, at a place one time, and he was always talking it, but he was never walking it. And we sat in the break room, and I, I finally, after I don't know how many times of listening to this, I finally just looked at him and called him by his first name, and I just said, I wish that you'd quit telling people that you're a Christian. What, why is that? I said, because you're, you're not living right, and everybody here... And, and the company knows that you don't live right, just shut up. You say, you said that? Actually, I did. And you know what? It was actually kind of a blessing because he, start, he, he stopped talking. And, and I heard later that he actually, he got right with the Lord. And it was long after I left the place of business. I have no idea if I had anything to do with it. But you know, the Bible says, let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. When we talk it, but we don't walk it, we are not helping the cause of Christ. We are hindering the cause of Christ. We're not helping the catching of men. We are hindering that. We're, I mean, we're, we're basically poisoning the waters, so to speak. And you can't follow Jesus until you're willing to leave some things. Matthew 4, verse number 20, we already read it. It says, and they straightway left their nets and followed him. You're going to have to be willing to leave some things. Now, the nets in their fishing business was not anything that was wrong in and of itself. It wasn't sinful, but the Lord had something better in mind for them than just catching fish fish. He wanted them to catch Manfish, something that would have an eternal thing. Listen, if you look at your life and most of what you're doing only has temporary benefit and the things that you're doing that have eternal benefit are just getting a lick and a promise, you know what the Bible calls that? There's a word for it. It's called prodigal. You know the prodigal son, the term prodigal doesn't mean wicked and rebellious. It means wasteful. Here's, here's a young man who took his inheritance and he went and he just threw, his, threw it away. And I know many of people who are saved but are living a prodigal life. If you're saved and you think that just going to heaven is all that matters, but you are not doing anything to influence others toward Christ, if you're not fishing for men, then you're a prodigal. You're wasting the grace of God just on yourself. And we all will give an account for that. And you don't have to be a preacher or a Sunday school teacher. Anyone and everyone can play a part in catching men. Now, this uh, this idea here, straightway they left their nets. That word straightway, you know what straightway means? It means they did it right then. And I'm going to tell you right up front, When God speaks to your heart, if God is speaking to you today and you're not fishing for men and you know, hey, I ought to, and you just keep putting, if you don't do it today, you're probably not going to do it. That's just human nature. Straightway, they let, they didn't say a word. Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. What was their response? They just did it. They just did it. It wasn't an altar call. It wasn't a pray about it. It wasn't, well, let me see. Can I afford to uh, walk away from my business? They didn't analyze it. They didn't procrastinate it. The master had spoken and he said, follow me. I got something better for you. And they just walked away and they did it. If you won't do that, if God's speaking to your heart today, you're probably 
not going to do it tomorrow, and certainly not going to do it next week. Now, Jesus doesn't call everyone to leave their business or their family. Some of you might say, well, that's kind of good to hear. I didn't want to leave my business. I didn't want to leave my family. In fact, God may have you in your family or in your business or the job that you're at. He may, that may be your fishing hole. You needn't, needn't worry about any of it. Just simply follow Him. The man in Mark chapter 5, verse number 19, the maniac of Gadara, the Lord cast out all those devils, and when he's sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, he begins to beg Jesus to let me go with you. They're getting ready to go back across the Sea of Galilee. Let me go with you, Lord. I want to, I want to be with you. And it says in Mark 5.19, Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. The Lord really was saying the same thing. He's saying, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. It wasn't a physical following of him. It was a spiritual following. Simply do what I say. And I believe that that's exactly what that man did. He went home. And he told his family and friends, hey, here's what Jesus, there's a man that came across the lake and he cast out all those devils. He changed my life. Listen, folks, you can't, you're not going to catch men unless you've first been caught yourself. Number two, the doctrine of man catching. Jesus is the fishing expert. He's the expert. Now, you get around somebody that fishes a lot, and everybody's an expert on fishing. If you've got any experience at all, you know a thing or two. If I was going to go and uh, fish for bluefish and Spanish mackerel over on the the coast of North Carolina, I'd talk to Brother James or uh, one of his sons, Brother Sam or Brother Joe. I'd talk to them because they go, and they I've seen pictures, and I've ate fish in... Uh, in their home, and it's like they know how to go and catch fish. And they can tell you about the direction of the wind and the lures that you use and all of that. That's who I would talk to. I'm certainly not an expert, but sometimes you come across someone who knows nothing. We were on vacation this past year, and there was somebody just maybe a 100 yards down, and they were fishing, and they, they caught a little shark about this big. And they didn't know what to do. They told my wife, Could your, your, does your husband have pliers? So she came and got me. I grabbed my pliers and I went down and I, you know, here's my pliers. And will you take it off for me? Okay. So I, you know, I take the hook out of the shark's mouth and okay, uh, it's, it's your fish. What do you, what do you, do you want to throw it back? Do you want to keep it? What do you want to do? And he's like, well, I don't know what to do with it. Will, will you throw it back for us? So it's like, okay, I, I threw it back. I remember the first time that I caught a little baby shark like that. I'm like, well, I was a little bit nervous. You know, they got teeth. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, baby shark, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> but, you know, it's like got teeth. It just doesn't quite look like that. <laughs> you know, catfish, those little catfish, boy, they will sting the far out of you. They'll put a hurting on you. He had to learn how to deal with that stuff. And so this guy who was my neighbor there on the beach, he knew absolutely nothing. And I walked away. It's like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. He's been doing it a few years. And so probably the people who really know how to fish look at me and go, what's that idiot? Why is he using that bait? But uh, the fact of the matter is, is Jesus is the fishing expert. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter number 5. Luke chapter number 5. And this is an interesting take on the same story. Of course, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, a lot of times they'll tell the same story, only they tell it just from a little bit different perspective and maybe tell it a little bit different way. One Gospel will have some parts of the story that another one doesn't, and you can kind of piece it all together and get the whole picture by studying and reading all four of the Gospels. Matthew 5 and verse number 4, And when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch 
out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft. That's his way of saying, go put the net down and you'll catch some fish. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, <laughs> at thy word, I will let down the net. You know, really what Peter's saying is, okay, you know, I realize you're king of kings and you're Messiah and I know that you cast out devils and you heal people, but you know what, Lord, I've been doing this a long time. Leave the fishing to me. You know, you're a carpenter's son. You make things out of wood. I've been fishing since I was, you know, knee-high to a grasshopper. Is that a southern saying, right? The Yankees will have to learn that one. Lord, I, I know that you're the Son of God, but, you know, leave the fishing to me. And yet we find here in verse number 6, uh, it says, And when they, had, when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. So reluctant, half-hearted obedience is better than excitement. Today, everybody wants excitement. And I got news for you, there's the majority of the things that we're supposed to do don't render as much as excitement as they used to. Listen, I've already said this. It is so exciting to lead somebody to Christ. Nowadays, it's exciting just to get someone that'll listen to you. But results, fruit, catching men, the, the actual it happening is just, it's not like it has been in times past. But Peter even found out he toiled all night long. The Lord says, listen, this, I want you to do, just keep doing it. Try the other side of the ship. Okay, Lord, at your bidding. I'll do it. And they had more fish than they could handle. The nets began to break. There were so many fish in the net. There are going to be times and seasons when nothing is caught. And listen, in this doctrine of man-catching, let me say this, that discouragement is the biggest enemy of the fishermen. I look forward every year to surf fishing when we go on vacation. This past year was not a good fishing year. A lot of days, we would, I'd just sit there all day. You know, I wasn't a jerk on one end waiting for a jerk on the other end. I was just a jerk. You know, you, you'd see the, the wave would just move your rod tip. Oh, is that a fish? No, 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 no. It's just, it's just the wind. It's just the waves. Ain't nothing going on. And you just sit there and you wait and you watch. And hours passed by, and it just wasn't a very good fishing year. And so after that happens, I'm not quite as excited to go this upcoming year. But I'll get over it, because I remember two years ago. And I remember that sometimes, even when you don't catch a lot of fish, every now and then you catch a big fish. And sometimes the quality is more fun than the quantity. But you just keep fishing. It's easy to get discouraged, and that's probably one of the biggest enemies of catching men. 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 58, and I, I'm, I'm hurrying here. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Listen, the results do not make our labor vain in the Lord. What are we doing it for? Are we doing it for the Lord, or are we doing it for results? If we're doing it for the Lord, it's a win-win situation every time. By the way, we call them fishermen. We don't call them catchermen. Now, I like catching. My son, he liked to catch. He didn't like to fish. He always caught more and better fish than the rest of us. I don't know if I would have been had the touch that he had, I would have probably loved to fish, but it just wasn't his thing. But sometimes we fish and we fish and we fish, 
and we don't catch anything. If we're not careful, we'll get discouraged. You know that Noah kept preaching, kept preaching righteousness for year after year after year after year. Nobody responded. Nobody repented. The only people in the ark were him and his family. The whole world that listened to his message, nobody responded. Jeremiah kept prophesying. Hey, look at uh, turning your Bibles to Isaiah chapter number 6. If you've been to any missions conferences, you've heard this preached before. Where Isaiah said in verse number 8, when the Lord said, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, Lord. Send me. Let me go catch some men. Let me be one of your fishermen. And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert and be healed. Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, Until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate. The Lord have removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. Hey, listen, did this prophecy become fulfilled in Isaiah's day? No, it hasn't been fulfilled yet. But the Lord said, I want you to keep preaching what I've asked you to preach. Follow me, Isaiah, and I'll make you fishers of men. You'll bring glory and honor to me if nobody listens to you. Listen, your Christian growth and experience will be lacking if you won't follow Him and if you won't fish for men. Luke 5, verse number 8, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. This is after Jesus told him to try the other side of the boat, and he said, okay, Lord, at your bidding, I'll let down the net half-hearted obedience. He fell down and he said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Listen, Jesus sent Peter out fishing so that he could teach Peter something. And listen, your Christian growth and experience will be limited, stifled, until you decide, I'm going to follow the Lord and be a fisher for men. For he was astonished at and all that were with him at the draft of the fishes when they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were his partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. It was a teaching process that the Lord put Simon Peter through. Jesus is the fishing expert. And then my last point, number three, fishing can be individual but it's usually organized. Brother Brian McBride, we went and heard him preach here a few months ago uh, over at Tabernacle. And the next day I had him on the radio and we had lunch together. And I said, Brother McBride, he, I said, uh, we'd like to have you in for a meeting. And he said, well, he said, I'm, I'm booked up. I said, well, how about two years from now? Well, I'm booked up two years from now. I said, how about five years from now? He said, well, I'm booked. He said, you don't understand. He said, I have churches that have me back the same time every single year. And he said, my calendar's full. He said, if I get a cancellation, I'll give you... I said, hey, put me on the list. We'd love to have you in. Great preacher. While we're sitting there having lunch, I asked him, I said, brother, what are you seeing in churches? You're traveling. You're seeing the same church every year. And you, you know, you're in a different church, sometimes two different churches every week. And what are you seeing? I mean, I'm a pastor that's trying to figure out how we can be effective and make a difference in 2022. What do you, what can you help me with? And he said, well, Brother Mitchell, here's something that I see. He said, the pastor is a shepherd. And he said, shepherding is very much a life of solitude. But he said, there's another identity that the pastor has, and that is the, as the disciples, when the Lord said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He said, the commercial fishermen, they didn't work alone. They worked as a team. And I thought about that. I thought, you know what? That is so true. You know, I can fish by myself with a hook and a line, but you start, you go out on a vessel and you've got 
nets and you've got sails and you've got navigation. It's a very much commercial fishing is a team effort. Paul almost always had a companion, but Philip the evangelist seemed to work alone. Peter fished by himself to pay his taxes. Matthew 17, 27. I'm going to skip reading it. You could read it up there on the board. It's uh, Jesus said, lest we offend him, go and cast a hook into the sea. And when you reel in a fish, you're going to pull a piece of money out of its mouth. And that's going to be enough to pay my taxes and your taxes. This was either a really valuable piece of money or perhaps maybe the leaders in Israel, or the Romans were Republicans instead of Democrats. They didn't need quite as much. I don't know, I'm just joking. Tuesday's voting day, by the way. Let me encourage you, get out and vote. Be a responsible Christian. Vote for somebody that has biblical values. Vote for somebody that's against abortion. Vote for somebody that's pro-Israel. Vote for somebody that is not... uh, a proponent of all of the uh, sexual perversion that's going on in our nation today. I can't tell you who to vote for, but I can tell you what the Bible says about the values. The moral and the social values are more important than the economy. Listen, voting for somebody that stands up for the truth of the Word of God is not being unloving. So, that's for free. Tell you what, you know, if Peter could go and catch a fish and the Lord used that in order to pay for their taxes, you know what, you might, you might have a financial crisis. Do you know that if you will go and try to win souls for Jesus Christ, the Lord may actually use that to bless you financially? He did with Peter, did he not? Hey, it's worth a try. Be a whole lot better than signing up for some pyramid scheme or responding to some federal post office jobs like I did when I was newly married and sent $20 to get this packet that I could have went down to the post office and got for free. My wife's never let me live it down. At least I was doing something, honey, sweetheart. Hey, James and John, they were out there fishing with their father. We read about that in Matthew 4.21. Out there with dad, the whole family's out there fishing. It's, a, it's an event that they do together. What a blessing it was yesterday to see Brother Sam and Sister Shannon and their children out at the pumpkin fest and seeing those kids handing out gospel tracts and them doing it as a family activity. Man, I'm, I'm watching that and I'm just going, what a joy, what a blessing. Man, if we would all as families get into that and say, Hey, listen, listen, son, daughter, we're going to go do some fishing today. Let's go have some fun with it. And I, you know, watching those kids, they, it wasn't like, Oh, I'd rather be playing a video game. No, they're having a great time and smiling. And people were taking the tracks from them. Better than they were taking them from me. And I even tried to smile. They still take them from cute little girls and handsome young men a whole lot better than me. It's a joy. Jesus sent out the disciples two by two. Listen, I don't believe for a moment that Jesus sent them out two by two for their safety. Now maybe that was a side benefit, but there was a whole lot more to that. If you've ever done some hard work, you know that blisters will eventually produce calluses. But I tell you what pinpricks do. Pinpricks don't produce calluses. They just make the nerves more sensitive. Listen, if you're diabetic or you have to take shots on a regular basis, you have to go to different places for those injections because the nerves get very, very tender and sensitive. Rejection is often like pinpricks. This is the point that I almost got to earlier. 
Listen, rejection, it's like a pinprick. It'll make us, if we're not careful, we will allow it to make us sensitive toward more rejection. Listen, I, 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 we all go through times where it seems like there's more rejection than others. And I know for me personally, it's sometimes just, you know, and I've shared this with you months ago. It's like sometimes losses and rejections, they just, sometimes you go through a season in life where they just pile up and if you're not careful, you lose your confidence and you'll get really sensitive. It's like I got to protect myself from further rejection. We don't do it consciously necessarily. It's just a natural reaction. When you're tender, you protect the tender spot. Well, I'm out there and I'm, I'm out there at Pumpkin Fest yesterday and I'm handing out tracks and I'm just like, all right, I know you're not going to want to take it, but I'm going to hold it. Would you like a track? You don't want a track, do you? I know you don't. I didn't, I never said that actually, but that's probably, that's what's going on in my heart. It's just like, you know what? Let somebody else do this. Let me go get a sandwich. And you know what happened? I started watching the other folks do it. Watched them smile. It's like, yeah, I remember. I used to be like that. I, 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 I could smile and have a conversation, and I wasn't self-conscious. I wasn't protecting myself. And you know what that did? It's like, you know what? You just got to man up here, Mitchell. You just got to start fishing. And so I started kind of getting out of my comfort zone a little bit, talking a little bit more. A few people would, you know, like, no, I don't want your track. And I'm like, you know what? That didn't hurt that bad. I don't think I need to go suck my thumb. I'm still alive. Let me try again. Then somebody takes one. Oh, thank you. Okay, that felt better. And it's just this is the emotional process. But you know what? If I would have been out there alone, I would have probably quit. It's like, yeah, nobody's here watching. But sometimes when we go out and we do things collectively, we end up encouraging one another. And by the way, Jesus teaches us how to handle rejection. He is the master fisherman. He teaches us in Matthew 10, verse 14, He said, Whosoever shall not receive you nor hear your words when ye depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. I got a message I preached years ago. Don't be a Swiffer Christian. You know, Swiffers attract all the dust and, and the dust sticks to it. Don't, don't be like that. When we get rejected or something bad happens, just let it go. Just shake the dust off and go to the next town. Maybe they'll hear you. Somebody says, no, I don't want your track. No, I don't believe in God. Nowadays, you can hear people will say blankety-blank stuff that you're just, I can't believe you said that about my Savior. And you're just like in shock. But you know what the Lord says? Shake the dust off. Don't let it, don't let it gather and collect. Listen, I, I, I read on today's front page of the paper, because this, this gentleman has already passed away, I'm not even going to mention his name here today, but there was a man here, a local businessman, that it says that he was remembered for peace and love as much as he was for martial arts. Some of you have figured out who I'm talking about front page of the paper. And then I think, you know what? This man had a business downtown. And I, I'll tell you what I remembered him for. I remembered him for not wanting to let anybody tell him about Jesus Christ. Not accepting tracts. I remembered him from Miss, Miss Dot when he got a little aggressive with Miss Dot TV Paw. Are you kidding me? Who could be mean to her? the nicest woman on planet earth. Sweetest lady. I mean, never, I mean, you don't get any sweeter than Miss Dot. And this man who's on the front page saying he's remembered for peace and love, I'm thinking that's not what I remember him for. I remember him for being very antagonistic toward one of the sweetest ladies I know. It's like, I don't want to hear about Jesus Christ. 
You know what? You've got to shake the dust off of your feet. You can't help everybody. You know, I've went fishing before, and I've caught a lot of fish at times, but I didn't catch all of them. And I have no idea, probably, you know, most of the time if you catch a fish or two, there's probably about a hundred out there that you didn't catch. Let God worry about that. Jesus teaches us how to deal with it. And so in conclusion, wow, sorry, I lost track of time. Anybody want the conclusion today? All right. Well, you're going to get it. (laughs) Fishing is an act of faith. We know that. You don't know if there's always anticipation, always a little expectation. You always have to deal with a little disappointment. You just never know, but it's an act of faith. It takes faith to follow Jesus. It takes faith to keep up those expectations when we get discouraged, and we seldom see the fish. You know, when the, when the disciples were casting the net, they did not have they did not have Oakley Polaroid sunglasses out there. Can you imagine that? Here's the disciples in the ship. They got their Oakleys on. They see the fish in the water. You know, they didn't see all that. They didn't have their you know, one of those shows on his, I forget which channel it is, where they're fishing for the tuna. You know, they got the electronics over there. Oh, we're marking, we're marking. It's because the sonar is showing. There's big fish right below. Get ready! None of that. They're just looking out at just water. It may be a little choppy. It may be calm. They're not, it's not clear water like the Caribbean. I've seen the Sea of Galilee. They have no idea what's going on six inches under the surface of that water. So what do they do? They just cast the net. They cast the net. The only way they find out if there were fish there is when they draw the net back. It's an act of faith. Brothers and sisters, this this is a doctrine of man-catching, a doctrine of fishing for men, And the Lord tells us that we're going to have to trust Him and believe His Word and just do what He wants us to do. I have one more quote from C.H. Spurgeon. He said this, he said, I expect Him to work salvation, and I depend upon Him for it. I love this complete dependence, and if I could be offered a certain amount of preaching power by which I could save sinners, which should be entirely at my own disposal, I would beg the Lord not to let me have it, for it is far more delightful to be entirely dependent upon Him at all times. Wow, that's an amazing statement. It is good to be a fool when Christ has made unto you wisdom. It is a blessed thing to be weak if Christ becomes more fully your strength. Go to work, you who would be fishers of men and yet feel your insufficiency. You that have no strength, attempt this divine work. Your master's strength will be seen when your own has all gone. A fisherman is a dependent person. He must look up for success every time he puts the net down. But still, he is a trustful person, and therefore he casts in the net joyfully. Simon Peter saith unto him, John 21, 3, I go a fishing. They say unto him, we also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that that night they caught nothing. This is a story here that the Lord includes in the gospel account. Peter denied the Lord three times. He was despondent. He was depressed. He felt like a total failure, and rightfully so. And what did he say? He said, I'm going fishing. I'm going back to what I know. I'm going back to what I used to do. I guess maybe this idea of following the Lord, I failed. He's done with me. I might as well go back out in the ship. They caught nothing. Other people went with him. You know, I will say this about Peter. At least he didn't sit around and suck his thumb. He just, let's do something. Brothers and sisters, don't lose faith and go back 
to your old life, your old way of thinking, your old way of living. Don't go back to that false sense of security. Peter knew how to fish. And he thought, you know what, I can maintain at least some type of semblance of control in my life by doing what I know. And the Lord came and he said, children, have you any meat? They said, nothing. You know, the Lord wants all of us to be fishers of men. You're never going to catch men until you've been caught first. We all need to remember that the Lord is the expert fisherman, not us. Not a program. It's not a, not, a, not a gimmick. It's not a tactic. It's just simply telling people about Jesus Christ. What could be a bigger joy in the life of a believer? And then finally, remembering that fishing can be individual. You can witness, tell people about the Lord when you're all by yourself, but There's also some great opportunities to do it together, to stay encouraged. Iron sharpening iron. And very frequently, that's when the most joy and the most blessings come, is when we approach the world around us. This is God's sea, God's ocean. And just as the Lord caught us, He wants to send us out to become fishers of men. But it's not going to happen until we first... Follow him. Follow me, he says, and I will make you fishers of men.